I was far from home, and the spell of the eastern sea was upon me. In the twilight, I heard it pounding on the rocks, and I knew it lay just over the hill, where the twisting willows writhed against the clearing sky and the first stars of the evening. And because my fathers had called me to the old town beyond, I pushed on through the shallow, new-fallen snow along the road that soared lonely up to where Al-Debaran twinkled among the trees, on toward the very ancient town I had never seen but had often dreamed of. And that was the opening of the festival by H.P. Lovecraft. It's a, a story that is uh, appropriate for the season that we just finished. And for those of you who listened to my reading of this story, you'll understand that this is actually a Christmas uh, story. This is also yep. one of your favorites too, Ralph, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, I, would, I would rank it in my top three Lovecraft stories. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorites too. And I, I was uh, telling you that though I do like all of Lovecraft's you know, material, I'm partial to the shorter pieces like this. Yes. It has, um, I mean, Lovecraft also, he always gets uh, attached to like just like the Cthulhu thing. And um, I mean, I would talked about it before. I love this thing that also that Stephen King like learned from Lovecraft to like interconnect the stories, even though there are stories where no fish creatures appear. But that you have like, the oh, he also owned a, co a copy of the hideous Necronomicon by uh, Abdullah Hazred. And, you know, like you always have like these connecting dots and lines. And I love that because it, it, it it's like it's building the universe of the whole thing. Um, and uh, I love it when when the stories break out a bit. And uh, to me, the best stories are the ones that trigger like the true horror stuff that really uh, shocks me. And I'm not shocked. I think there's not a Lovecraft story that shocks me, but like it's the gloom in these stories that attracts me. And this story to me is one of his darkest and gloomiest ones. Absolutely. And uh, this was written in October 1923 and was first published in Weird Tales in the January 1925 issue. And, uh, yep. you know, the Weird Tales, we talk about this quite a bit. That's the venue that a lot of these old school weird fiction writers publish their material. Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, um, Lovecraft. They've all appeared in the pages of Weird Tales. And actually, yeah. there's a new version of this magazine that's out right now. They still publish it. They reawakened re the beast. And uh, I have oh, the last several issues, and they've all been really good. So I highly recommend everyone checking it out. So it, is it like a magazine format? Yeah, yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard copy magazine uh, nice. It's got cool artwork on the cover. Uh, you know, this last, well, I don't know if it's the last issue, but the one, they have a heroic fantasy issue that uh, there's a piece by Neil Gaiman. There's an excerpt oh. from uh, the new Elric book, which just came out by Michael Moorcock. And, um, and then there's just like a bunch of other like dark fantasy 
uh, poems and uh, short stories and things like that in there wow. by various writers. Fantastic. But most oh. of the other issues are uh, focused on horror and weird tales. So it's pretty cool. Oh, see, uh, we spoke about that uh, on the uh, our Schwarzenegger episode. Um, this all drains my wallet really hard. Dude, there's so much great stuff out there, especially if you're a reader. you know. And, and I think this yeah. genre is in a bit of a renaissance over the last few years you know with you mentioned adam neville has a new short story and he's uh you know another favorite of ours and um yep. he's you know carrying the torch for weird fiction and folk horror things like that yep this story was inspired by lovecraft's first trip to marblehead massachusetts and uh that's like uh on i believe on the north shore the quote-unquote mm -hmm. north shore in the Boston area. And yep. uh yeah, it's um pretty pretty sleepy little town. I know some people that are from Marblehead. I've actually been there. Oh, can you hold one second? I have a delivery here. I got to yep. edit this. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered a uh, proper espresso maker. Uh, just showed up. I, I just thought, like, wow, that delivery of the book was fast. <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> it showed up like twenty minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the story we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, Marblehead. Etc. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. So, uh, yeah, Lovecraft was very much impressed by uh, Marblehead, and he referred to it as the most powerful single emotional climax experienced during my nearly forty years of existence. I can't say That's that I shared the crazy. same experience of going to Marblehead <laughs> as he did, but you know, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of places that show up in the short story. Um, in the short story, it's called Kingsport. That's the, uh, you know, the the goal that the nameless narrator. That's the town that he, he visits, and mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a house and with an overhanging second floor, and that's uh, Marblehead's One Mugford Street, and uh, the church referred to in the story is Saint Michael's Episcopal Church, and um, yeah, so there's a lot of actual, you know, places that really exist in our world that Lovecraft used in his story. The cool thing is about uh, the technology that we complain a lot about, you know, like with now music being nothing special since it's all like available all the time. And we sometimes doing like the old man shtick where we like glorify like, oh, we had to order a record and to wait for it forever, blah, 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 blah. 
But the technology nowadays, just for example, I've never been to Marblehead and probably will never go there. But I just, uh, when I prepared for the um, for the podcast here, I reread the story, checked the same notes that you have on the internet, and then I used Google Earth to take a stroll through town and actually look at the places. This is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Massachusetts has a lot of like that. New, New England in general, like along the coast, yeah. there's a lot of these kind of cities which you can imagine would uh, would impress Lovecraft to write about. There's also some mm. references to other books. Uh, you know, there's the race that appears in here, this pre-Aryan sorceress race uh, would have appeared in uh, Margaret Murray's The Wilt Witch Cult of Western Europe, a book that I've actually read, believe it or not. I have it oh, in my bookshop. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, of course, Arthur Mackin, who was uh, an influence on Lovecraft, uh, he has a novel called The Three Imposters, and I have not read that, so that's apparently an influence on this short story. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's the best way you can do it. Like with uh, King or probably Adam Neville. Adam Neville is always posting like stuff on his uh, Instagram that he has read, and like how much he's like, oh, I'm impressed with this, and then you read his stories, and you're like, oh, cool. So like, he definitely also takes influence from other authors. And that's uh, what Lovecraft did, too. And I think that's the cool thing about literature and writing that uh, the same with like us quoting musicians when we write music. We don't blandly steal, but we're certainly influenced by it. And uh, and I like this, that there's this this uh, this cultural narrative throughout time that we're involved by stuff that someone did before us and we make our own take of it. In the case of Lovecraft, there, there's a lot less for him to draw influence from. Because if yeah. you think about it, it's like, okay, Robert Chambers, Lord Dunsany, um, Edgar Allan Poe, Poe, you know, yeah. Arthur Mackin. Really, that's, you know, I'm sure there are yeah. others in there. I mean, I mean, Mary Shelley wrote some weird tales, you know, from the early 1800s. I'm sure, you know, Lovecraft was into that as well, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, like, these, the, these, uh, it's kind of like the, when you compare it to metal, it's the same thing, you know, that when you had heavy metal and then Venom came and Bathory came and, and Hellhammer came and pushed the boundaries and that to other people heard that and then they pushed the boundaries even further, creating like the second wave of black metal. And then you saw where it all comes come, comes down to today and the, the horror that we have nowadays, the various forms, it's based on some people that like started the whole game and others like pushing the door open, like Poe in his time, and then Lovecraft after that, and then people like King. And uh, now you have all these various strains of horror literature, the same that we have with metal. It's not all of it is good, but it's there, and the people are creative. And yeah, so that's why Lovecraft is legitimately one of the forefathers of modern horror. So uh, the story starts, as we see in the excerpt read at the beginning of this episode, on uh, Yuletide, which um, this un unnamed narrator refers to as a time that men call Christmas. And uh, so right away, you, you, you have the sense that the narrator is an outsider that doesn't necessarily exist 
within the confines of modern society for the time. Like he's referring to a culture that precedes his current culture back into the deep past. Mm -hmm. You know, and he mentions that this tradition is older than Bethlehem, Babylon, and Memphis, which are, uh, you know, ancient, yeah. ancient cities that, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. This predates all of that stuff. And um, he's traveling to uh, Kingsport, and um, he's going to check in on some family that he has up there. And just his description of Kingsport, you know, aside from the nods to uh, Marblehead, it's uh, that, that typical dark, deserted city that Lovecraft yeah. likes to have in all of his stories, or in a lot of his stories, I should Correct. say. Yeah. yeah, the Innsmouth, Innsmouth, Dunwich, and all these places, yeah. Have you ever seen the movie The Deep House? Uh, is, wait, is The Deep House with the house underwater? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah I've seen that one, yeah. Not, almost a good movie, almost. You know, yeah. as, uh, as Mick Jagger's son is in it. He's <laughs> turned stars in that film. <laughs> um, but that, the, one of the things I liked about that movie is the way that the town is kind of presented. It has like that deserted sort of vibe yeah. to it. You know what I mean? And immediately made me think of like Lovecraft and, you know, even yeah. Thomas Ligotti presents towns the same way mm -hmm. as these kind of brooding, deserted places, these almost liminal spaces that exist between yeah. the, the future and the past in some ways. And that's the sense yeah, I got of, of Kingsport. Yeah, and it's also in that movie. It is under the house is underwater, and it looks so gloomy. And that's what I meant with this story being one of one of his darkest. It's like from the get go, when the narrator enters town, it doesn't feel that he's going to like a Christmas celebration. You know, like we all know, like movies like uh, Home Alone and all the Christmas flicks, where families like travel through through, through the country to come home to a joyful house full of people and everybody's happy or uh, planes, trains and automobiles and stuff like this for Thanksgiving. But this from the get go, man, this, this guy is entering the town and is like most, one of them, like from what I imagine in my head, one of the bleakest, darkest, uncomfortable cities that you can think of. And he's also not seemingly like, Oh yeah, I'm going to see some relatives for a Yuletide party, but it's all so depressing from the get go. Yeah. Yeah, it has like this foreboding atmosphere to it, you know. And then yeah. he, he comes upon the house that he's looking for, and uh, <laughs> you know he knocks out the door, and uh, his, you know, what you're thinking is a family member lets him in, and you know they they have these flabby hands and this kind of expressionless faces and things like that. But we discover that they're wearing masks. Yeah, yeah. So that's like once again adds another sheen of weirdness to this uh this whole experience now and can you uh can you imagine that like you're you're visiting some relative and they they're wearing a mask yeah you go to this town that you it seems like he's never been there before dude that's that's what i just wanted to say man it's just like i'm i'm obsessed with masks that's like i mean look at the cover of the last author record it's uh 
the whole thing about like the roles that we play in the masks that we wear is something that like on a philosophical level totally gets me. And that's why I always like liked horror movies where villains had like masks on. For example, there's this movie, The Strangers. I didn't really like that movie, but like the main villain that had like this this uh, this sack over his head who looked kind of like a scarecrow instantaneously like got me like just the, the the visible thing like the Michael Myers thing that you wear a mask and you can't see what's actually going on and the the imagination coming in there and you know like in, again like if you trans transfer it to real life imagine your grandparents we've all met our grand like most of us have met their grandparents imagine you visit them and you haven't seen them in a while and they sit there and their faces aren't moving but they're talking to you you must be freaked out and, and you must you must actually see that but in this weird setting of that story he's kind of okay with that he's just like huh something's off they're wearing they're like they wear gloves of their flabby hands and they have these bland faces and everything smells weird and so it's like i would run the fuck away yeah it's uh it it also plays into that that whole vibe of of uh masks you know and if any you know all these stories we're reading these are like it's almost like this archetype you know we we did you know mask of the red death a while back um, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing this story, uh, you know, that's something that is like a big theme just in this genre yeah. is concealing your face or creating this other persona for yourself or, yeah. you know, just like the obscuring things and hiding and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at one of the most successful horror movies of 2022, the totally overrated smile. Oh, God. It's just like. Yeah, how irritating. I mean, I, I the the idea of having someone smile and make and scare you, I think that FX perfected that. And like if you look at the videos for uh Come to Daddy or uh Window Licker, and you always have his ugly ass face with a grin, that's more scary than the whole smile movie together. But like it's just someone overtly smiling that can creep you out if if the eyes and the mouth don't match you know it's not congruent and that's kind of the thing too with masks it's just like it's uncomfortable because you cannot see behind it have you um what comes to mind too is uh are, are you a fan of um eyes wide shut uh i haven't seen it but i know you like it well the book that it's based on it's called, mm -hmm. um, what the hell is it called? Uh, 20th Century Dream Story by Arthur Schnitzler. Yes, mm -hmm. Arthur Schnitzler. It's only like 115 pages long or something like that. And it's kind of a weird tale. And it reminded mm -hmm. some elements of this story. You know, I mean, that story kind of reminds me of elements that, that are in the festival. Because it's, both, mm -hmm. both stories take place on Christmas. You know what I mean? There's like, you know, a, a, a meeting of people, masks, concealment. In the case of Lovecraft, it actually gets revealed what's actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the sinister nature of everything. But in um, a 21st Century Dream Story, it doesn't really go into that as much. It's kind of vague as to what actually happens at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. 
this is like that this theme with the with the weird weird assembly of people that end up being sort of like a cult and then wearing masks and you cannot really see what's going on is a theme throughout like a lot of movies that I back and dig. For example, one of the movies that I really love is Ninth Gate, yeah. which a lot of people hate on, but I love the movie. And it also has that congregation when they when they have the book um, Kill List, come, the end of Kill oh, List man. comes to mind, yeah. you know, like with, with the mask and everything. And it's it's some, a trope that always gets, it's kind of the same with black metal. If people have like a cool black and white, like copy, copied artwork on their tape with someone with a torch or a shovel or a, a sword and like a black and white face in the snow in the forest, I'll at least give it a shot, you know? And, and that's like the kind of horror that I dig. That's why this story in particular, more, more so than like the like Shadow over Innsmouth, which is also fantastic. But this one is way more up my alley because it has that element of like this weird mass people cult aspect to it. And also, all of, all of, the whole thing takes place over the course of a few hours, really. The story is like, yeah. the chronological time frame is, is short. Uh, so, you know, he enters yeah. the house and another tip off that there's some sinister stuff going on is they have a copy of a Latin translation of the Necronomicon, which yeah. plays heavily <laughs> in the uh, Cthulhu mythos that, uh, that Lovecraft yeah. has created. So we know that yeah. there's some sinister stuff going on here. We've got people wearing masks. we got a copy of the, the Necronomicon. And, um, you, know, it's, uh, you know, some of the yellow writing of, uh, of Lovecraft shines through. You know, a thought mm -hmm. and a legend too hideous for sanity or consciousness. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. That's how he refers to the Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah. So now at 11 o'clock, you know, he's, he's, uh, they take him to meet up with a, a crowd of people. You know, they're wearing cloaks and, um, you know, they, have, they also have masks on. And they, they head to the top of a hill at the center of town. And we mentioned, you know, how this mir mirrors the actual layout of Marblehead. And there's a, a church yep. up there. You know, that's, you know, the church in, in Marblehead, too. You know, and the crowd is uh, led to this, this church. And they enter, and uh, yeah, it's like that. This congregation again. It's like uh, this. This moment, the whole story feels like I think that like uh, which comes to play here when he goes into that groove and they go towards the church and then go into the crypt. I think that that the dude is completely isolated and lonely. Like even with his with his like relatives, I think there's uh it's his it's supposed to be his grandpa and his aunt. No, no, his uncle and aunt, right? Yeah, that's the people that he visits. I mean, she she's working on 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 that uh, that the garment thing, and they're like super weird and offering him stuff, and is, everything feels uncomfortable. And then they're like, okay, let's go. Then they go to this mass, and then. You know, like he arrives and it doesn't feel right. He goes into that house. It's even more wrong. And now he still follows them into this crowd because he's driven or supposed to do this without actually questioning, like, what the fuck am I doing here? This does, I mean, he must have like a, a dude, man in his right mind would have said, like, this all feels so wrong. Like, I shouldn't be here. 
Now, one of the interesting things about this church is that it's uh, underneath the church. There's a passageway, okay? Yeah. That goes into uh, another more ancient location. Now, this also is like a huge trope that we see recurring in a lot of these types of things. We have the Christianity overlaid on top of an ancient mm-hmm. belief system, you know, and this is like a very, uh, you know, very popular motif that it shows up in, in folk horror. You know, if you think about like the Wicker Man and, and uh, you know, you mentioned Kill List, you know, there's like, yeah. if you think about just England in general, even though this takes place, this, this takes place in New England, if you think yeah. about England, you know, the Romans brought Christianity to Britain, ancient Britain. And uh, at that yeah. point, you know, the Roman Empire was the Holy Roman Empire. So the concept of Christianity came to this land and they just kind of sat it on top of their old belief systems, like their old gods, their old ways. Yeah. And that's what this scenario in the book, uh, the story rather, um, shows you that this church is literally placed on top of what I'm perceiving as another hallowed ancient you know location you know what i mean like there's a like yes. labyrinth below the church that um yeah. you know this is where we get some another another great some great writing here a vast fungus shore litten by a belching column of sick greenish flame and washed by a wide early oily river that flowed from abysses frightful and unsuspected fucking brilliant man so (laughs) underneath this church there's like this secret river that comes from like this dark abyss this void and it's uh you know there's like strange you know plants and mushrooms growing everywhere and uh you know there's like a a whole ocean that's underneath the this the land you know that's like this you know it also also comes to mind too is um you know, back in the turn, the back in the between the you know, the eighteen hundreds and the nineteen hundreds, like the turn of the twentieth century, there's a lot of ideas of like these inner earth stories, like guys like Carl, yep. uh, like uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, like he had like the Pellucidar uh, books that he wrote. Yep. You know, there's like this inner earth fantasy stories that were coming up, and I think that Lovecraft kind of dips into this a little bit here. Yeah, Jules Verne comes to mind. Yep. Like the, the journey to the center of the earth, and uh, what to me always comes to mind, and that's like connected to um, my favorite Lovecraft story is the rats in the wall, and it's the same thing that like underneath the house there's these catacombs, and you go down and further down, and to me like it came up two things like look at like how often basements are the the center of fear in horror movies, you know like in in the beginning of it. Oh, uh, and Georgie has to run down to the basement to get like the paraffin for the boat. You have it uh, in, in in Nightmare on Elm Street, where the boiler room is, where Freddy got torched. Uh, you got it in uh, even in Kevin in, in Home Alone, like in the, that scene where he is alone and he has to run to the basement. There's the scary boiler. So the basement underneath the earth is where the dead are buried. So that's always scary. And also the idea of hell, you know, like. Because Christians always say, like, 
when you're good and you die, you go to heaven. And the worst thing that can happen is you go down, you go down to hell and hell is somewhere underneath the earth. And that's like whenever someone goes down and deeper, and that's the thing, a motif that is like done really well, I think, in uh, As Above, So Below, the found footage horror film that I love so much. It's like the further you go down, the like the closer you get to hell. And that's kind of the feeling that I have here. When you go down that river, that path, it like you go closer to hell. Yes, exactly. And and these um, this cult is like worshippers of like this unclean sort of ideology, you know. And uh, yeah. so we, you know, when we're in this this labyrinth, we hear um, you know this weird flute music that's coming in wow. and um you know they're engaging in what they're referring to as the yuletide rite or the yule rite and once again <coughs> older he talks yeah. about it being older, older than man okay so here's yeah. the first and fate it's just fated to survive him <laughs> yeah so here is where we we get into the uh the concept that these people are, are not altogether human that there's some offshoot of an older race that existed prior to man inhabiting the planet. So at this point, this uh, horde of eyeless creatures, uh, you know, they they reveal themselves and um, it's kind of hard to visualize what they are because they have wings, but they live underground. Uh, He also likens them to ants, you know, and, uh, and vampire bats too. So, I don't know. I yeah. had a hard time kind of figuring out what these things look like. Yeah, but like the imagine this, you go like and this this is what I love so much about the story. Your imagination can go buck wild there. So you go like there's a church and there's an opening. You go into the crypt, you go deeper. All of a sudden there's a river. Everything is green lit, moldy, dark and uncomfortable. You follow that river all of a sudden you hear like a weird flute noise coming from something that you can't make out in the dark. And up until this point, it's like classic horror. So you don't know what happens, but then all of a sudden these transport beings come up and take these people away. And that's like, at that point you must lose your mind. And that's like, I mean, mostly like the, the descent into madness is like what kinds of drives the stories of uh, of uh, Lovecraft. That's what we are like going towards with this story. But like, dude, in, th- in this moment, latest, I would have passed out and say like, okay, dude, like what the fuck? And, uh, you know, our, our narrator doesn't, you know, he kind of resists being pulled away into this uh, dark, oily water abyss. Uh, so these creatures yeah. are meant more to be like, um, you know, passage like they're they're like you're supposed to ride them into this uh, yeah. black hole of you know darkness. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh-huh. so the narrator jumps into the water, and um, rather rather than go on this uh, you know this this like excursion into uh, into hell essentially, and, uh, and yeah. then he awakens in a hospital in Kingsport. Yeah. And that, then it's the question, was it all a dream? Yeah. I mean, t- bef- before, before, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that the town is different than what he remembers it too. Like the town is yeah. not the same, you know, gloomy, like ancient world. It's in like a more modern time when he looks out the window of the hospital. Yeah. The, um, 
the point where like the, the question with the dream to me came up was um, before he jumps, like the, the, the moment that he that triggers him to jump into the water because he doesn't want to have none of that is when he says that uh, um, that he sees like uh, a guy with a with a mask like face and has resemblance to his family. And that mask is like uh, slipping down and he is having something uh, like an artifact um uh with his family's uh, yeah, like an arm that the, um that has been buried with his great 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 grandfather in 1698 so like something that like maybe appeared on pictures of his families or you know like like there's this heirloom that like our family always kept but it was buried with your great 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 grandfather and then disappears with one of these creatures you see under the earth and then you say like, okay, this cannot be true. And um, I sometimes have like in my dreams have like things appear that have been gone for a while or like stuff that reminds me of my grandpa or something. And uh, yeah, that, that that left me with this feeling that like that has been played up in like a lot of like the Lovecraft stories is like in the end. So was this a dream or was it not? So if, if you make a show out of it, probably they the studio would have, want to have that in the end, someone like looks at the camera and winks or something, you know, that it's like, <laughs> oh, the evil, the evil is still there. Part two is coming up or something. But uh, yeah, that's like, that's where we, where we find our protagonist in the end, in a town, in a different town. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the, the other thing too about this whole um, dream sequence thing, it's like I mentioned that it was... Um, it made me think a little bit of that that story, the uh, the, the novella, twenty uh, first century dream story, where, yeah, you know, it's Christmas time. <coughs> there's a bunch of people in masks. Some dark stuff happens, and at the end, you're kind of left thinking that maybe this didn't really happen, you know. And uh, because what they're saying is that they rescued him from the harbor of Kingsport, and that they think that he jumped off of a cliff. So that, you know, there's like, there's a, this whole story is kind of thrown in doubt when, um, when yeah. the, uh, the hospital, you know, reports that back to him. Yeah. And that's a, that's the cool thing that is like, to me, which with what I like better than like, okay, here's the actual proof or, you know, like it's, it's ambiguous. You can make up your own mind and you can say like, ooh, kind of like watching a horror film where like when there's a horror movie that really like sucks you in that you're in the end, you're like, oh, thank God that was just like a movie. Or like when you have a bad dream, it's just like, thank God it was just a dream. Um, I think it would be terrible to have something like this and then people try to explain to you, yeah, we found out this and that and this is the truth. I rather have it like kind of ominous and that's kind of what the weird tales thing to me is. So they send him over to Arkham to uh, recover and, uh, you know, and sort of, you know, you're led to believe that, you know, he needs some like emotional recovery and, and, uh, you know, he's, they just happen to have a copy of the Necronomicon there. Like every good household. Yeah. Yeah. I have one too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So he reads a passage out of it that makes him believe that, you know, his uh, family lineage goes back to this, uh, you know, these ancient, this ancient race of people, um, you know, that are not altogether human. Yeah. 
great holes secretly are digged where earth pours out to surface and things have learned to walk that ought to crawl that's such a good ending yeah definitely you know and uh another thing i just wanted to mention too is um you know a lot of these writers back then were paid by the word you know so when when lovecraft is when uh, lovecraft is writing the description about the narrator's uh grandfather he's the great 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 (laughs) (laughs) it's like gotta get that word count maximized (laughs) yeah Arthur Monroe Spooner, blah, 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 and that's like a 10, 10 column name. Also, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's a nice little tale. Um, you know, I recommend reading this around Christmas every year. It's a fun, uh, yeah. you know, thing to to get into. And uh, it, Lovecraft never really didn't really give this song uh, this uh, story much. Like he kind of didn't really think too much of this one, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it also could just be well, his self-deprecating nature too, you know. Right, and that's like with most of the stories. I mean, like every Lovecraft story that we covered on here, mostly it was like, I hate that story. And uh, I wonder, like, I need to find out which is which one is like a story he was super proud of. I think Insmith he was proud of. No, no, wait, no, Insmith wasn't as well. Um, probably Mouth of Madness or something. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, but it's just like it's like he hated everything he did, and it's crazy. But uh, yeah, like with with a lot of geniuses, it's like their own work. They don't like it, but uh, the world after them tells them how good they were. Yeah. So uh, the festival definitely read that. Um, listen, yeah. listen to some ambient music to it. Yeah, yeah. Or you could listen to my I, I my think... reading of it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's just like one of these stories that is like it is so full of gloom, and then you have like a dark ambient record playing in the background in the dark, reading it just with a bit of light. Perfect. So yeah, we're gonna be doing a lot more of these coming down the line, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is always. Yeah. (laughs) 